Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Mr. Murray Cook, president of Brightview Sports Turf, the official consultant of Major League Baseball. Talk about an episode for the ages with the one who is known to have brought us the field of dreams. Uh, It was absolutely incredible to be able to talk to Mr. Cook about everything that has to do with Major League Baseball and special events. Uh, Anything from the series in London about five years ago to, again, the Field of Dreams field in Iowa this past spring season. Um, It has been truly incredible to see through his eyes and his experience the true purity of what sports turf management is, you know, and how incredible what each and every one of you do for individuals, not just, again, in your town, in your county, but all across the world and the impact that you guys have. Um, And I told Murray this, that night was truly a special night, not just for the players on that field and the people in the stands, but for every person around the world that had ever seen the movie Field of Dreams because it truly brought it to light. Um, And I think it is truly telling of how he was the one was that built it and we all came to watch it you know if you build it you will come you know it's truly inspiring and this episode we get dive into all that so be sure to check it out um we hope you enjoyed this episode of tiger turf talk good afternoon and welcome to the 56th episode of tiger turf talk i'm your host drew miller with your co-host sam Rui. today we have on a Absolutely incredible guest. I am so fascinated with his career and everything he's done. Uh, we have the president of Brightview Sports Turf, the official consultant of Major League Baseball, Mr. Murray Cook. How you doing? Good, Drew. How you doing today? Good. Uh, before we get started, I do want to take a moment. Uh, for those that know, uh, Rylan Harris, our former co-host, passed away a couple weeks ago. And his birthday is coming up on the 9th. Uh, we have started a um, fundraiser, uh, not us specifically, but the community at Brentsville has started a fundraiser. And if you could go to rylandstrongfoundation.com or .org, I apologize, uh, and donate today in his memory, that would be incredible. Um, I just wanted to say that before we get started. Um, but I want to start with what was probably every American dream that you made come true a couple months or a month ago, might be a couple months now, um, in Iowa with uh, the Field of Dreams game, um, which again was supposed to be a couple years ago. COVID, gotta love the curveball and everything. <laughs> um, but what was that like for you to sort of be? And I again, I told my kids today, I was like, he's the guy who's who was the one that built it. You know, the movie says, if you build it, they will come. You were the guy that built it, and everyone came. So. Could you sort of speak to what that was uh, like in that experience, uh, sort of getting it ready and prepared for, again, one of the most incredible nights for Major League Baseball in all of its history? Yeah, uh, Drew, it really was. But first, uh, my condolences to Ryland, Ryland's family, and and uh, sorry for your loss. Uh, that's uh, I, I've been following that myself. But, uh, yeah, Phil Dreams, you know what? It's all about dreams and what we do in our life and how we put things together and you know, this project had been something the commissioner's office has been looking at doing since back in 
2015. Uh, and, uh, you know, shortly after we did something there with Fort Bragg and they liked what we did there at the Army base. And, and uh, so we did a first of site evaluation, went to the site and walked to the corn, you know, my first experience in Iowa. And uh, from there we went on to, uh, it was kind of like, there's a lot of things going on with the property at that time and a lot of politics in the area about what they could do, what they couldn't do. And it was a table for a little bit, but then uh, two years ago, uh, August, 2019, we broke ground and, and uh, got to the point where we could push some corn down and, and build a ball field. And it was, uh, it was, it was, pretty amazing as it relates to the whole experience from that point to 2020, obviously the first building it and then having to, you know, take it all down again. Uh, we learned a lot from that, right? It's always good to learn from, from things you do once you get them done, but even better. So for us, we look at it as, as a positive thing. So this year, I mean, the uh, culmination of the event, and you guys have seen it and it's uh, just, a, it just turned out, you know, you couldn't script it the way it turned out, right? The game, the, the event, the score, the people, the crap, you know, the, the field, the thing, everything, the weather. I mean, the night before we had uh, Derecho come through, right? And it was just this, you know, this extremely heavy storm came through and uh, you know, damaged a lot of corn. That night, our corn guy goes out and he's out there patching up all the corn. It was, you know, but uh, game day, wow came together. It was, it was great. So you finally get the field up and built and it's ready. What, is there anything specific you do leading up to the actual game right before game day? Well, you know, we're obviously monitoring the weather, like, you know, everybody in sports turf, right? Everyone's got to keep an eye on that, on, on the weatherman. And, and they weren't very, being very uh, positive the day before, which was media day. And we had, I don't know, 200 media there walking around the site, uh, taking pictures of things and weather was kind of ominous. But uh, planning for the event itself, making sure we had everything in in place for the actual game operations um, and, uh, you know, the, our tarps in place and and our crew trained up to do what they need to do in case there was a rain issue. All that's part of, part of the planning process and making sure your field is safe and ready for players. Absolutely. And uh, you actually had a bunch of different sports turf managers from across the country sort of come in the, I guess, the weekend of or yeah. day of. Uh, I, I knew a few of them, Nick and uh, Ryan Woodley and all those guys. Um, yeah. Could you sort of talk to sort of what that experience was like to really bring in, again, guys from different areas, whether it's college, MLB, uh, minor league baseball, all these different areas and sort of bring them together for this experience um, of managing the field and working the event itself. Sure. Oh, <clears throat> over the course of the events that we've done over the many years, I've always brought in different guys to help out and gals to, to work with us on, on these events. And this one was no different. Uh, you know, it was, it was important. I think from a, from a standpoint that this was something that was unique to Iowa, the first major league game ever in the state at a iconic field of dreams movie site, we really wanted to fl flood it. I mean, literally make it, make it an Iowa event. And uh, my crew, uh, all of the guys in my crew, Chad and Kevin, Eric and, and uh, Tanner. And uh, yeah, I've got, let's say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Well, Ryan Woodley used to work for me back years ago, back in the old Staten Island days. And uh, so, yeah, we had this, I felt it was important and still do 
that we bring folks together to, to that, that are from the state to be part of something pretty cool. Of course, next next for Mile as well. So it just it just made a lot of sense, and uh, excited to do that. We did the same thing in Fort Bragg for the for the game there. We brought in a lot of the local minor league groundskeepers in to be a part of history, and it's it's important to share those experiences. Everyone gets excited about it and keeps working. So I'm sure you've done a lot of events over your career. So can you discuss maybe uh, the most memorable one and why that is? You know, I, I was thinking about that uh, you know, over the past years. And, you know, there's there are just so many different – hard to pull them out. I, you know, I, the Phil Dreams game, obviously, recently, that's the most recent one's on my mind. And uh, it was super special. Fort Bragg was special in, in different ways because of, of, of what it meant to to our, our servicemen, servicewomen there on, on the site. And, uh, it, you know, it, the entire crowd was, was, was their families, 12,500 people. And it was, it was free for them, and it was a game that was put on, put on for them. I think those are memorable. Obviously, the Diamond Diplomacy Tour back in 89 when I went to the Soviet Union at the time to build fields, that kind of, you know, made you think about, you know, what the world's really like and understanding what sports turf was and other countries absolutely and you sort of read something about how you really love the international aspect of what your job brings um i know you've worked in england for that game with red sox versus yankees a few years back um the olympics in every different country it ever has been in you know um can you sort of discuss what your role is? Uh, again, Brightview is such a large company and Sports Turf is one part of it. Um, could you sort of explain your role and how that role sort of is a consultation to the MLB and sort of how that came to fruition, um, especially with all these new and different like site games that they're doing? You were talking about Fort Bragg um, and then they uh, obviously the Field of Dreams. Um, there have been others, and in the Little League World Series one, I think, is incredible. And it's just so cool to see you go around to all these different places and get them prepared for, again, the MLB players and make sure everything's to par. Um, if you could sort of talk about your role, not just at Brightview, but with the MLB. Well, Drew, a lot of questions in that one. A lot of questions. Sorry. Sorry about that. But, I know. Uh, no, that's all right. No, it's all good. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, you know, with, with MLB, obviously, I, I started back in early 90s, 90, 90, 89, 90, as, their, as a consultant, and things kind of evolved from that, and uh, and going into looking at the ballparks and stadiums around the country, but then they looked at also want to play in other countries, too. So, I mean, my first foray in London was in 93. We actually played the London Oval, which uh, we turned the, the cricket pitch there into a temporary ball field for, for uh a uh, minor league team composed of uh, different organizations the Mets and, and Red Sox organizations. And um, that was a first foray in, into that. And that was the first time I had uh, experienced some of the cool equipment that they have for marketing lines, the, the transfer liner, for example, uh, you know, Harry Bryan was a, was a legendary sports surf manager in, in, uh, in London for cricket operations and management. His son Harry Jr. was there, and and uh, they helped us with building this field in London. You know, my role moving forward from that, obviously, it just expanded from there. Game wanting to go, take it to different countries. It was a it was an initiative from Commissioner's Office to grow it, and uh, being able to work. And I guess it's been now I don't know, 
in some ways, almost 60 countries around the world have been able to provide services for commercial offices and Olympics and so on. It's a, uh, it, it, that, that, that job and, and the plan for it, call it a job. It's fun sharing ideas and excitement and, and bringing folks in to, you know, learn about the game and learn about the, uh, how to take care of a field. It's always been really exciting for me. And something that I, I realize, and I've I've told you this, but I've been following you since I was in college. Because again, you're from right around there, Blacksburg and Virginia Tech and Salem. Yeah. There, um, yeah. Something that you talk about, when, whether it's an article or something, um, is the culture. You know, coming into a country and understanding the culture of the people that you're working with. Um, whether that again is to do with them personally, religiously. Uh, ways of doing things. Could you sort of discuss how that experience has been for you? Again, for so many different countries that you've been in and understanding how to work with them in the sense of getting the job done, but within their means, if that makes sense. I'm sorry if that didn't. Yeah, no, no, it makes, it makes, it makes sense. I mean, it's a, you know, it's, it's like any, anything you want to do in life and working through different, different cultures and working with people with a sport that may not be very familiar in their country, you know, for example, China, you know, when we had the Olympics there and building the fields for the, for the Beijing Olympics or in Athens, uh, building the fields there for the 2004 Olympics, you know, these are cultures that do not have a strong knowledge of baseball. In fact, in China, they only know, you know, some words like, you know, batter's box and, and, uh, you know, L screen, and those aren't even in the the vocabulary, you know, you have to come up with ways how how they can say those and, and we're assuming what they're saying is right, uh, but but I, I, as far as working in those, it it really takes a lot of patience, and and it takes a lot of understanding that that people, you know, have a way of doing things, and you respect those those ways, and you learn from what they do first, and then you incorporate. Well, you know what? Let's look at, since you let's show me what you do, and then I'll show you what we do, and let's pick the best one. And really, that's what it all boils down to is communication and making sure that, you know, you got a good, you know, translator is pretty important because, uh, you know, I don't speak all those languages, but uh, but I think, uh, you know, but even then, baseball is a universal language. And when you're on a baseball field, especially in countries like Taiwan, Korea, Japan, you're taking care of you know, first base or second base, you're raking, you're using a rake the same way the guy beside you is, or even in Cuba, uh, where things are, are uh, you know, the resources aren't there. And you're working with them with their wheelbarrow, their rake and their shovel on how to build a pitcher's mound. And that's what you have. You know, you might need to improvise in different cases. And they are the, the kings of improvising equipment because they, you know, again, the resources they have there aren't there. But it's just, it's just, it's just great. I've learned so much from it. And uh, it's, uh, it's been exciting to be part of all those different events. So as we're talking about all these uh, different countries and the projects you've done and the people you've worked with, um, is there any, and improvising the equipment, that's a good example. The, all the people you've worked with, are there any that really inspire are you in any ways? You know, I, I, I mentioned Cuba and I think probably, um, yeah, as, as far as specific people, uh, the grounds for their staff overall. I mean, I, I think when you, when you look at some of the countries in, uh, in Latin America as well, uh, where the resources are very limited in what they, what they use, but they make do with what they have. 
they, you know, watching uh, Juan edge the field with a machete as well as I could do it with a regular gas edger was pretty miraculous. It was like, wow, it looked just as good. It didn't take a whole lot longer, but he did a great job with a machete. And that's how they edge the field. So those things, you know, you, you learn from those to say, you know, sometimes you just got to go with what you got, and make it work. Love that. That's incredible. Gotta, gotta love a guy running around with machete, right? <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. Machete, from machetes to, to, to uh, planting sod by hand. When I asked to get grass, we had to regress the field before the uh, Tampa Bay Cuba national game. And we, and we, we asked to, we, we went to the sod farm. They had one. They brought the sod in a truck and they dumped it in the field next to the, next to the infield. And uh, it was in pieces this big. And that's what we decided the infield. The Bermuda. Jeez. You know, it was like planting, planting sprigs. And, and then where's the top? Oh, we don't have one of those. How you top dress? Well, you go back to the old school. I'm, I'm old school. Okay. You get a shovel. You get a good job with a shovel. And you do it the right way with a shovel. You keep it. It's very hard. And you're flinging it. Right? I mean, that's, you just make it work. And you keep flinging and keep it light applications and we got it to where you need to be to play the game so anyway it's those experiences that, that really make you stronger in life and make you stronger and, and appreciating the things you have in the countries that have so much stuff that's incredible it truly is um and it sort of comes into this next question and we talked about behind you with all the the different pictures and everything have you ever been able to take a step back and you were saying back in 1990s when you started and really see what you've done you know there are so many different things that you've done in your career whether it's again the olympics mlb games uh and even more than that you know with bright view and everything be able to take a step back and sort of see the impact you've had on again not just an industry but sort of like again those memories the people that you've been able to provide those men and women whose families were able to go to the game at fort bragg stuff like that where again people like me are so grateful for the work that you do because it's so much bigger than again, just being a sports turf manager. Mm. No, that was really nice. True. Uh, you know, I, 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 uh, you know, you go back in, in, in time to before, you know, com, uh, computers, but uh, before the iPhones, before, you know, before you had things to document and record what you did, you know, you had an instamatic camera and then I got photos that I had, from the Olympics in 2000 that I took with my cinematic camera, you know, uh, you know, but before that, you know, those years before that going to Russia, it was, you know, photos that people took with their cameras, you know, it was just difficult to get, you know, good records of what you could do, but those, but really the, the memories of those things and the events, you know, it culminated to, to, you know, we're focusing on a job to make sure we have a safe playing field for players. And that's what we do in this industry, right? So, uh, but then stepping back and looking at that, I learned from the Olympics, the first one in Sydney, uh, where the USA uh, baseball team won gold and so did the softball team and remembered that. And I remembered what the impact that was in the States. And that was in 2000. And I knew then that, you know what, I need to do a better job of documenting things to make sure that I, I do a better job of doing something and reminding the guys and gals on, our, on my staff that, that I bring with me to these things, they need to as well, because it only happens at once. So you got to live in the moment to ensure you, you really appreciate it. And, and since then I've, I've, I've tried to do that. 
So looking in your career, can we go all the way to the beginning and can you talk about how you found your passion for turf grass maybe? Oh my gosh. I, I would have to say my, uh, my mother and I, uh, I, we have a garden. I love gardening. So we always enjoyed work. And I loved, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it, right. I enjoyed planting plants. I enjoyed doing those things and working a garden, but more importantly, I grew up beside a ballpark. Didn't have a lot of choice because, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, balls went over in our yard in the field so I could sell them back to the guys in the stands. So I, you know, became an entrepreneur early on at 25 cents a ball and moved on to, uh, once I got to the point where I was making more than they paid their ball boy and bat boy inside the ballpark, I moved inside. So uh, when uh, Dan Kinder offered me the job to be a bat boy and part-time groundskeeper at 14, I snapped it up for $3 a day and a Coke and a hot dog. That was my first job. I love that. That's awesome. The Coke and the hot dog were definitely the seller, right? <laughs> Huge. Well, I had, to, I had to run the press box order to, 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 the, to the guys at the press. So I took that order. And part of it was I always got, I always got my little snack too. But uh, that's yeah, awesome. That, that of the career of moving forward uh, to, you know, groundskeeping there, you know, and, and here, here in Salem, I moved back home. And so I'm, I'm living close to my, to my roots here. So it's, it's kind of cool. Love that too. Um, with everything, again, you were talking about 14. Um, what kind of educational background did you get in order to, again, pursue what you're doing? And how did it better prepare you for, again, a job that has taken you pretty much anywhere in this world that we can think of uh, when it comes to sports turf management? Well, I, I, was, I was fortunate to be in a community that really supported uh, uh, you know, kids that wanted to work, you know, and I, I was part of the DECA program at the, at the time, DECA distributed education, you know, uh, and I, I took part in that because our, our baseball field was also the football field for the high school. So it was the, it was a pro baseball field and the, and the high school football field during the off season. So I did both. So I learned at that time transitions of how to go one to the other back in the seventies. Um, and then I went to college as going to be a teacher, took a lot of archaeology classes like that found out that teaching didn't pay a lot and I kept coming back to summer jobs and working at ballparks and then, you know, things advanced from there and went on to, to, uh, you know, at that time there was no, you couldn't go to school to be a sports manager. You can be a, a agronomist or you could be, you know, you can get, you know, a certification to be a golf course superintendent, but that I didn't have a lot of desire for that. But uh, so it was, you know, in this in this 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s, there wasn't a lot there. Of course, now there's there's quite a bit that people can do and, and learn. And that kind of progressed into moving on to Disney and took a lot of management programs on how to manage events and operations and, and programs there. So that's uh, that's kind of all that all came together. So. Did you learn, uh, you must've learned a lot of experience just from working. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah. Experience from working. Wow. That's called the school of hard knocks. Uh, you learn from your mistakes and you move forward with, with, uh, with those mistakes and, and hopefully you learn from them and you don't do them again. And that's kind of how things went about back in the day when you were learning to be a groundskeeper, you, you know, you're able to read magazines. I was, I was an advocate of the sports turf uh, managers uh, program since way back when they said the association and when they came out and started putting out a magazine about sports or maintenance 
back in the early 90s was, was like, wow, this is something I can read about what other people are doing in other places around the country. It was like so cool. And, and I got to reach out to, you know, the Tomas and different folks like that to talk to them, just call, found out, got a phone number and chatted and different things. You know, we were able to, to share that sort of sharing information through the association and became involved in the association in 93. And of course, you know, that's when sports show was really starting to, to, to pick up some, some steam and, and the industry did as well. And I think that's where things have past you know 20 years is that the industry has has exploded in the opportunity for for advancement and not only turf grasses and synthetics but equipment to maintain fields at a, at a much higher caliber making them more efficient and easier to do i mean again back in the 90s you didn't have that back in the 90s and in cuba and all the different places you know <laughs> um yeah exactly, exactly. yep um and you sort of answered the question, um, but with everything uh, you sort of started talking about there, you've worked with different types of surfaces, especially being around the world, different climates, different expectations. Uh, one of the big things that, again, it's prevalent in our industry is, again, that artificial turf versus natural grass. Um, what has it been like for you to work in different places where artificial is definitely it's a done deal? It's happening. Um, probably I, you've worked in the dome and in, in, is it Japan, right? I'm sure. Um, sorry. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. No, I was going to say <laughs> yeah. probably worked about five or six, but, um, yeah. what has it been like for you when it comes to, again, prepping a field that again, maybe the artificial is not in great condition in comparison to a natural grass field, um, with timing, you know, whether it's, I'm planning to be there four months out because it needs X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to be a couple of years going on multiple visits just to ensure that it's ready. Um, what's that kind of like, especially in comparison, again, artificial versus natural grass. Yeah. You know, there's uh, again, go back to the cultures, you know, dome stadiums, right. So, you know, there, you know, that's a big in, in, in Asia, especially in Japan and Korea and uh, Craig has one. Uh, Taiwan's building one now. Um, should have that one up. But, you know, synthetics, you know, they're, I look at it, it's, it, it's very cyclical. I mean, back in the early 80s, 70s, 80s, you had like 11, 12 major league clubs that, that had synthetic grass, right? And then all of a sudden, everybody won their own ballpark. But that, at that time, they had football and baseball on the same turf. So, uh, you know, the Phillies and Bengals and all these guys had ball and baseball played on, in the same stadiums. And then, you know, that was all nylon-based like turf grass, synthetic grasses and moving forward, you know, that kind of went away maybe Montreal and Tampa, maybe, and Toronto had, had synthetic. And now you're, you're seeing this, you know, new turf synthetics come up to, to, uh, to be more competitive and, and safer and more grass-like. Um, a lot of the projects we work on, for example, you mentioned London. I mean, obviously there, you know, we, we worked on that for two years and, uh, the planning for it, and we were originally going to go with natural grass, but because of the time frame we had of 21 days to build the park, uh, and it was a, it was the right decision uh, because we it rained 17 of the 21 days we were there. So uh, you know, and, and being able to, to to roll out the the carpet there to for the play on worked out very well. Um, you know, the, the, again, but on the flip side, from a natural grass standpoint, I think that that whole dynamic of the new monofilament type blends of, 
of synthetic grasses really pushed the, the dial for natural grass systems to improve. And now you're seeing these great, you know, blue and Bermuda grass products, you know, going north of, you know, going up into Philadelphia and, you know, Colorado, different places where you can grow Bermuda grass you could before in, in the, uh, you know, the transition zones. So, you know, I think it's, it's good across the board, but each venue is different and, and each used a different way. When you're going into these, some of these temporary sites to play games, uh, you know, to be able to come in there and roll out and roll back in. I mean, I remember we played a game at the Alamo Dome and uh, the, the Rangers played there. Uh, and we, you know, of course that's a, that's a, it's a dome uh, convention center basically. And uh, we were able to, to put something there. So, you know, is it, you know, it's ideal in both ways, you know, it kind of give and take, it's not perfect, but you know, the whole idea is to make sure the field at the end of the day is safe and playable for the players and, you know, and, and, and they're, they're good with it. Absolutely. And, and they're place, definitely places for both, you know, and it's definitely, it's hard for some people to understand that. And it's definitely something that, as sports surf managers, I feel like we need to understand better in a sense, you know, um, but it'll never, it'll never be just understood. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, is, it, it kind of is what it is. The old saying, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's here, synthetic grass is here and, and, and there are places that, that, that where it works fine and, and, and people are using it. You see a lot in colleges, universities, you know, kids want to play more year-round sports. You know, you see different different applications of, of these tournament fields and tournament sites for the multiple synthetic turf fields. But uh, but but what I love seeing, I'm a I'm natural grass guy at heart. You know, I want to see natural grass out there before anything else. Uh, you know, I think uh, I'm excited to see the the, the new varieties of, of uh, natural grasses step forward too and and, and remain prominent in, in our industry. Absolutely. We actually had uh, Tony Leonard on a few months ago. We talking about Tahoma and how he's transitioning between the two. You know, it's it's really cool, and it's. I think you're right. It's so cool that we're able to do that now. Where again, we're in that zone where it's like it has the hot summers, but you don't want to deal with the cold winters, so you can just swap them out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so yeah, you have the hybrids too. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. We've got five different uh, hybrid. Bermuda grasses at on at Brentsville. Um Tahoma 31, right. Northbridge, Patriot, uh, Latitude, and Riviera. Um, so Thank we you. we we try to make sure we have enough again for our kids to learn different aspects of everything. And we're hoping That's to move bluegrass. We're hoping to move bluegrasses in uh once we have a facility built where we have more uh capabilities, you know, and test different things with different universities so it's we're we're all about what you're saying you know it's great to see and we want our kids to be at the forefront of it so um with brightview you were talking about before um sort of not mlb side of things uh ryan woodley used to work for staten island i actually met ryan when i worked for the mets and he was there um it was right i think it was two years after he left staten island uh brightview is known again i and i could be wrong Please let me know if I'm wrong, but having a contract with different minor league stadiums where you guys provide a groundskeeper for the services of, again, running the season, maintaining the field, and that way the minor league team doesn't have to worry about all the different components, again, of a groundskeeper. Um, Could you sort of explain 
sort of that and more of what Brightview is uh, in the sports turf division of things um, when it comes to, again, Brightview as a whole? Yeah, uh, well, the company's quite large. You know, they're, they're, it's a commercial landscape company merged with uh, Valley Crest and Brickman back in 2012, 2013, 14, something like that. And, uh, you know, I got 21,000 employees. It's, it, it's a big group. And the sports turf is a little bitty piece of that, right? But it, it's a it's an important piece as it relates to developing uh, opportunities in different branches to 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 take care of you know athletic fields and sports fields and and you know colleges, universities, and that sort of thing. And we help them with that. You know, from 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 our standpoint, from the sports turf side, you know, as you as you know, we we focus you know pretty much on the baseball sector of, of sports. Uh, and that's, and that's where we, we that, that's our niche and, and, and what we do and, and providing, you know, services for those activities. Uh, you know, you mentioned taking care of minor league. We took care of quite a few there for a while and only do three or four. We don't do a lot of minor league work because, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they might work for the, for the home team. Right. And, and that's fine too. And even then we provide some help and resources to, to help, uh, help guys along in, in uh, maintaining their, their fields and, and other parks. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a model that we've used for a while and, and it's worked for us, but, uh, but enjoy being able to, to uh, you know, talk about the Brightview world and, and what we've done with, with the crews, different folks that have passed through uh, on our group because it's all about advancement. So we were able to bring a guys, guys in to, to be on a, on a field crew, give them a decent salary and a pay and and teach them at the sports and nine times out of ten they get picked by somebody else like a like Woodley or you know I could name off several guys that, that have come through our organization that are now with uh, you know major league clubs or NFL clubs over the years. So you must have uh, with all your years at Brightview you must have seen the organization grow and change a lot but not only your organization the organizations that you work with must have grown over the years. Can you talk about how uh, things have changed and grown? Well, um, and the, the, what's grown for us has been the, the development, obviously, of, of the equipment and materials, right? So that's really expanded opportunities for, for, for managing things more efficiently and, and, and uh, more safely. I think, you know, from, from an industry standpoint, you know, with the STMA and what they've done, to provide, uh, you know, their, the chapters are all around the country, working with them on, 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 on their growth uh, has been exciting. Yeah, I'm a, still a member of the board and, uh, of the International Committee and, uh, and enjoyed being, being a part of that with Abby and, and looking to see how we grow this beyond our, you know, our country, you know, and into other, other, uh, other places around the world. It's important because there there are other organizations similar to that that really are are, are doing a great job in in managing sports fields and sharing that information between organizations and countries makes us all stronger as a as a, as a sports turf industry around the world. And sort of to piggyback off of that again, the growth you've seen and everything that's come into again, even since I I started probably twenty. 14, 2015 was when I first really got into sports turf and attended my first STMA conference. Um, what do you see for the future of sports turf managers? You know, whether that's uh, with STMA 
or whether that's again with what you're doing specifically um what do you see in the future um especially i mean sam and i can talk to it we just saw a video again we were talking you're talking about machinery uh toro just came out with this brand new uh electronic commercial grade uh mower that's a 60 inch uh zero turn slash grandstand like it's insane to me that we've come as far as to have something like that. Again, that is definitely like capable in the actual workplace setting, you know, going from again, seeing homeowners to stuff like that, to having that in again, sports turf. What things do you think you can see uh, in the future? And how do you think that's going to change the industry's outlook moving forward? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, any any technology that's coming out now has really been been uh, tremendous, and you know, even down to you know, you, I, I read something the other day. There's folks that are looking at at mowers that can go out and actually put them on a person's lawn and mow without a person on it, right? So it's all GPS driven, and it, it's kind of like the Rumba, right? They go out and do your carpet, and it, you know, does you know, vacuums your whole house, push a button, vacuums your house, it tracks everything, and you know, that technology's been around for a while. Now it's being applied to to, uh, you know, turf grass maintenance and mowing, uh, you know, that evolution of, of things continues to grow. COVID was, COVID past couple of years, was kind of like a reboot, kind of like turn the computer off, turn it back on again, because we saw a lot of people take a, take a step back and look at what they have and what they do. And, and, you know, moving that, moving that forward with, with, with understanding that the future of what we're going to be doing in our athletic stadiums and fields you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the sport turf manager is more than just that. He's also an event manager and he's there coordinating a lot of other things besides just maintaining the field. And I think that's where our industry, I, I foresee it in the future of being is that, you know, you're going to have guys that have a lot of experience in sports turf, but they're going to be a very good event folks that can, that can change out fields and change out, which we're doing now from soccer to baseball to football, and, and understanding the, the dynamics of all that. And obviously at the end of the day, the bottom line too, for, for the venue you work for. So, uh, you know, the development of, of, of the technology we have now is making that job easier. Obviously we need to get some more folks out there that know how to take care of sports turf fields. And, you know, what you guys do there, uh, there at that school is, is tremendous and, and, and a great step towards, towards, you know, you know, give, giving us that feeder pool to, to get these uh, these, these students uh, up into the industry and, and get them out in the world to see if they really really like what what this is all about. Well, I really appreciate that. We try our best. Um, a lot of kids really do. It's it's cool to see you know um, a kid really take a, a liking and see it become a passion of theirs. Um, so thank you for that. Um, something that uh, you were saying as an event planner, like it, you could not be more factual straight up completely the truth about sports turf one of the underlying things that no one ever thinks about is that event planner you know being there in the moment um i remember i was in college i was a, a student worker down at tech and for some reason i still don't know why they did it but they left me in charge of the semifinals for the acc lacrosse tournament uh at like 9 p.m it was like unc versus like i don't even know it was like North Carolina state, I guess. And there's a storm coming in and it's in lane stadium. And I'm like, this isn't good. I'm not the one in charge. 
<laughs> I am the one in charge, but I don't know what to do. Um, but in that moment, I had to make a split decision, move the whole thing across campus to the indoor facility. And I'm like, what did I just do? Like, I, do I actually have the power to do this or did I just get fired? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> so I couldn't agree right. more with that. Um, and the other thing with the GPS mowers, I am not going to trust them. Okay. Because Sam and I can speak <laughs> yeah. to this. Uh, we have, we were, uh, given by our director of career Intel education, a, uh, robot, uh, paint machine, uh, that we've been able to use for fundraising purposes. We don't use it on our fields really because we want our students to learn, obviously, but we go to different schools and paint their fields and whatnot. That thing does not work perfectly. Okay. It has hit many <laughs> things. And I don't trust it not to a mower to not cut me. So I'm sorry, but I do not trust the mower yet. (laughs) And you can ask Sam. It's got some work to do. Pretty funny. Yeah, it's hit me and I would not like it to be a mower. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I, you know, that, that technology around even for farming, you know, where we fulfill a dream. Yeah. We work with Andy Ray and the guys there on the farm and, you know, the entire, you know, they got, you know, 10,000 acres of corn they harvest and it's all, GPS driven. It's it's pretty amazing. Of course, you're not going to hit anything out, out in the farm field like that. But but again, I mean, it's it's um, you know it's part of the future. I mean, you get remember, you know, 25 years ago we didn't have a cell phone. Well, we had a a brick that was you know it was it was massive. Um, you know, <laughs> you the technology like catches this, right. You had to hold it yeah, like this. that, and it, and you had to carry the battery box with it on your hip, right? <laughs> so you, you what did you say? You know, it was, and it was, yeah. What was that? And I got to stand over here one foot to make sure it worked. But uh, <laughs> get down on your knees so I can step on the back and get some service here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and even for me, growing up, I I think it was I graduated high school in 2013. So I mean, yes, by my middle school years, I had everything. But when I was in elementary school, we still had like the big blocky Mac computers were the only things that ever existed, and it was like. That was like the cool thing, you know. You're like, oh man, we're fancy yeah. here. Everybody, I watch out! <laughs> exactly. Uh, it is crazy how fast everything mm-hmm. has come uh, to fruition when it comes to technology, and especially now in the industry. It, like you said, it's crazy to see the advancements. Whether it's again the the actual machines we use or the technology we're using for like soil uh, control, not even control, soil management uh, with sensors and everything. Sure. Um, Better yeah. weather systems, you know, down, down to your own, yeah, down to you know, more accurate weather. I mean, I remember days watching the DTN screen, you know, we got a game coming up and you call the meteorologist, and he's just watching weather patterns and clouds. He didn't have that data to know when that storm was going to hit as well as you do now. I'll update every 15 minutes. That's all you get, 15 minutes. You know, 15 minutes is a long time when you're waiting to put the tarp out. So, uh, yeah, just, just to see that technology grow to help us really manage fields better for rain delays and operations it's been has been phenomenal to really help yeah us i i still question it you know a little bit <laughs> i'm like oh it's coming yeah. oh no it's gone there's nothing here boom right. you know? <laughs> like, wait right. where did you come right. from right right um with everything uh we usually wrap up our podcast with uh two questions because again this is tailor made to our students and again learning from you so that they can listen um what would be your best words of advice uh that you could give our students entering the industry or entering the world you know just sort of moving into that next stage of their lives 
you know, kids are kids are are, are going to be armed with a lot of data, a lot of information, a lot of a lot of cool things that that they that they're going to have at their disposal to make good decisions. And and as you've as you mentioned, Sam, you know, there you don't want to be hit, hit by that uh, by your, your by your unit there that's marking your fields. And and, and I think you know those are mistakes that are going to happen. You know, you're going to you're going to going to have to work through those and figure out, you know, why is that happening and, and work with the guys and let people know that, you know, this is what's happening so they can make it better. You know, we got a lot of smart people around this world that, that can, that can figure those things out for us. And, and you just trust in trust in what, uh, well, how they can help you move forward and, and, and look forward to, to trying to make a better place to, to, uh, to have a good field and, and take care of it in, in your hometown. Absolutely. Um, with everything, um, again, you've had such an incredible career. What would be one thing that you would want to know and not to make it easier or anything, but that you would have benefited maybe, uh, that you would have liked to known when you first started that you now know after all the years of working in this industry? Uh, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier. I, I think, uh, you know, really doing a good job of, of, of recording what you do and, and understanding that the only way you're going to have be able to document, you know, your, your last game, your, your first game, you know, years back, you know, again, you shouldn't have that cap- capability of, of, of really taking a photo of things, sending it online or, or checking it online real quick to see, okay, this is right. I can call this guy right now I'm on my phone. He's got his cell phone. I can text him real quick. You just didn't have those things. So, so I think as we move forward, to me, it's it's really you know just document and remember those those you know what you learn from at, at each event because every game, every field, you know the weather plays a little differently in, into your schedules and 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 how you how you operate that and always take care of your crew. I mean that's that to me you're only as good as the people around you and if you if you got good folks, you hire good folks, you take care of them. They're they're going to take care of you. And I've lived by that since day one. And I've, as some guys I've had with them for close to 20 years, they're still with me because, you know, we, we, uh, we understand, you know, the dynamics of what we've gone through over the years and, and have a good handle on, on, on what could and couldn't happen. So experience plays into that a lot. And uh, the experiences that I've had over the many years of working in sports fields around the world have taught me a lot about, uh, you know, there are still things that, I don't know. And I'm still learning every day and how to do things and, you know, building a professional field on on armor deck system in London, you know, is that possible? No, it's not possible. Well, we did it and it worked and they play. It took a lot of folks, a lot of mock-ups, a lot of, uh, a lot of testing, a lot of data, a lot of equipment to figure that out. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's it. You just have to get people around you to help you figure them out. So you have a lot of memories, <clears throat> excuse me, you have a lot of memories over the years from back when you were making $3 a day at the field to maybe your most recent project. Is there any one memory that's just very special to you, very happy? Well, again, coming off Field of Dreams is pretty cool. At the end of the game, kind of knowing what, 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 what that was about and how that turned out and, and, uh, and how it really touched a lot of people around the world. You know, the movie itself and how that played into the emotion part of the game and how that how how that movie you know you know talked about a Ray Kinsella playing catch with his dad on, on the field and, uh, and and folks really really attached themselves 
to that to that movie and the fact that uh, you know he's kind of stopped that night of that game and people watch this game and I've heard I've heard from hundreds of people around the world people that I haven't heard from in years about they watched it they said that was a that was a game they the entire game they watched it and it, was, it made them feel good about the sport and feel good about things in life and you know being able to 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 have those kind of moments and have that kind of feedback from people was was, was pretty special. Well, it definitely made so many, so many people's, I mean, year probably. I mean, it's, I still had goosebumps from the walk out of the corner. I was like, whoa, this is not real right now, you know? Um, but the scene that you were talking about where they were uh, playing catch, did you ever hear about how they filmed that scene? They just called the local uh, no. people and said, hey, come here at this time. And it was just everyone started driving to the field and it was one sure. take. And they couldn't do it more than once on a helicopter with a camera where they just went up. And it was it's still one of the craziest things to me that that was the most expensive shot in the whole movie. And again, it just played perfectly into what the movie was, you know, and again, that night. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on. We can't thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, I know we had a blast um, and we hope to hear from you soon and hope you do well. Here in the next few projects that you have, um, uh, if you're ever if you're going down to STMA, let us know. We're actually taking a few of our kids down. Um, I'm sure you're super busy, awesome. though. Um, but we're excited to awesome. meet awesome. everybody that we're doing these with down there. So that's great. No, that, that's great. Uh, I appreciate all you do and with, with, with the school there and Sam yourself and putting these these uh, things together. Good information to put out there for folks who want to get in the industry. We want to we want to make it make it. Fun. It's a good job. It's a great career. Uh, a, a lot of opportunity to do a lot of different things in different different sports. And appreciate you guys having me on the show. And and uh, good luck in, in the future with 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 your ball fields.